0: Journo at Stories That Matter Studios, I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town, The Journo Project. This podcast is all about recognising great Australian journos, wherever they may be around the world. With the media in Australia under increasing attack, and hard-won freedoms under threat, there's no better time to celebrate and highlight the work of the top journalists from down under. She's been in the reporting game for decades, working as a journo everywhere from small outback Australian towns to New York, Washington and London, and she proudly started her lifetime of storytelling in the small Queensland town of Kilkeven. Lisa Miller tells me on this episode of The Journo Project how she's travelled the world, starting her secondment in the US with the Twin Towers still burning in New York and leaving London as Brexit pandemonium took Hold. She was looking forward to settling back into Queensland life but is now excited about her new role, co hosting three hours of live breakfast television on ABC News Breakfast in Melbourne. Some of her most memorable stories have come from the most unlikely of places.
1: My name is Lisa Joy Miller, <laughs> and I'm the new co host of ABC News Breakfast from Monday, August the 19th, and I I deliberately said joy because that is, I try to live a little bit of that in my life, and I may need to remind myself of that at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, beautiful, thank you so much for joining us on the streets of your town, the Juno
0: Project, Lisa. Thank you very much, thanks for having me. We it, go back a long way now, we do, Lisa, and it is wonderful to catch you just on the cusp of moving into this big new move. So, you're just literally about to jump on the plane, and you've kind of given us time on the podcast, and I appreciate it. Right? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Always. (laughs) So Lisa, I wanted to start, we do go back a long way, but I wanted to go back even further and really talk about how you started your circuitous journey to be a, a journalist in so many mediums, so many countries in the little town of Kilkeven. Can you give us a bit of a
1: glimpse of your life there and how you, how long
0: ago you really saw yourself being a journalist?
1: So Kilkeven back then had a population of about 400 and we didn't live in town. (laughs) We were about a kilometre or two out of town, which made us feel even more isolated. That's where I was born and lived till I was about 10. Mm -hmm. It was such a small place that on a Friday afternoon it was a big deal to do a trip (laughs) into town to go to the library and be able to get out a couple of books, and get 20 cents worth of mixed lollies. And I actually think that is where my love of reading and writing began. So before anything to do with journalism, I think it was Mrs Leif at the Kilkeven (laughs) Library who I met the other day again. She's still alive. She remembered the book that was too scary for me to get out that my mum wouldn't let (laughs) Her give me, can you believe that? That's, and what was the book? Can you remember? Yeah, where the wild things. Oh yes. Lyle. Yes. Where, yeah. Yeah well, yeah. well. Yeah. Well. And
0: um, it's funny when I go through, when I drive through that country, sort of around Noosa Way, not far mm-hmm. from there, but. I often think of that wild woods in that book, and it is scary. Like it's quite
1: similar. Yeah. Well, I've not read it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But anyway, um, Mum and Dad had been dairy farmers. Dad had sort of left the industry. We were still on the land, and then he went into politics in yeah. 1974. I was four years old. Um, the lead up to it must have had an impact on me. I remember interviewing members of the family with a tape recorder and feeling oh so very important so I can't remember (laughs) I can remember watching a Miraburra Chronicle reporter come and interview dad and thinking wow that looks so cool and they came with a (laughs) photographer and it was just you know it looked great but then the real moment sort of took hold when I was 16 and I went down to Canberra during um, some uh, school holidays and I sat on the floor of Parliament House where family members could sit in the gallery, in the members' gallery. And after question time, Dad had said, oh, what did you think of all that? And I said, oh, all I could do was look at the press gallery up above. And I remember just watching them intently, how they were <laughs> looking, you know, what they were doing, what they were writing, and just always wanted to be something I wanted to do.
0: Oh, it sounds like that exposure had a pretty big impact on you.
1: I think mm. so, and also the exposure to the ABC. So there mm. were only two channels on television that we could get in the country, and we were allowed to watch the commercial one on occasions, but generally <laughs> it was the ABC. Of course, we've now got the echoing of that
0: in some ways, because the Gimpy Times has really embraced you as our Lisa a well, couple of times. Well,
1: the, with I, your work, big I worked for the Gimpy Times for two years. They, they They taught me, you know, the basics. Mm. Like I say to people when they ask for advice about journalism, I say go out to the regional areas if you can. There are so few opportunities out there these Mm. days, sadly. But starting at the Gympie Times and not in the city, I just credit with so much of who I am today, basically. So, and, And that was another, you know, just sort of happened moment because I was at Queensland University University and it was in my third year of journalism and I was really anxious that I hadn't nailed down a job. And so I rang the Gimpy Times halfway through the year to ask if I could come and do some work experience. And the second day I was there, the Irish cadet quit in this crazy big scene where he stormed off to the pub across the road and the editor looked at me and said, Do you want a job? <laughs> And I said yes. And so I didn't go back to university full time. I then finished my degree part time externally. I (laughs) rang my flatmate in Brisbane and said, I'm not coming back. <laughs> and and it's
0: a, a, a trend that has continued to this day with your poor lease agreement sitting here in front of us and you've <laughs> got to break your rental that's to go a... down to
1: Melbourne. Isn't that funny, Nad? <laughs> that you've walked in here and I'm trying to fill out an agreement to terminate fixed term tenancy. Mm. I have certainly bounced around a bit over the years. <laughs> and but that's the thing. You know, I've lived in some of the biggest cities in the mm. world and some of the smallest towns in Australia, so I feel like I've had a great taste of everything.
0: Is there a place that you prefer to be? Is there a place where the stories are better?
1: The short answer is no, because I always manage to find happiness wherever I am. Um, When I lived in Townsville and worked there for Wynn TV, after I'd been made redundant because the newspaper Mm. in Brisbane had closed down in the middle of the night, I have always found a way to find great stories and interesting people and make wonderful friends and people have often asked what's the difference between the US and London as far as reporting because I did nine years in total in the DC Bureau mm-hmm. and then three years in London covering Europe through a really tumultuous time with all the terrorist attacks and um, the Grenfell building fire and Brexit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I can't, I can't give you a, you know, a, which one I prefer. I mean, all of it was an amazing experience. All of it, I hope, I did well, and all of it just makes you grow every day and makes you a better reporter. That's the other thing. Like, I turned fifty early this year, and I think that I am learning things every single day about this job that we're doing.
0: I can see it in your face. I still see that excitement for what you're doing after, oh, totally. after what, you know, more than two, three decades
1: nearly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. I love it. It's my family. If I go somewhere with them and we go into a cafe, I start talking to the waiter, they're like, oh no, <laughs> she's found a story. But I think everyone has a story. Everyone has something mm. interesting to say. And so you just need to sometimes be quiet. And that's something that I've learned over the years is just being quiet. A lot of my students do ask me,
0: what's what's the secret with interviewing? What are some of the good interviewing tips? Sounds like listening might be right up there, hey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There <laughs> is a, a real art form and technique to knowing when to just actually shut up. And <laughs> <laughs> let someone tell their story and yep. they might pause and there might be silence, but you just stay silent and they'll then feel that comfort of revealing perhaps something of themselves that they would not have done otherwise.
0: It does fascinate me so often uh, when that, that, you know, that final question that so I know I quite often throw in of, uh, is there anything I've forgotten oh. to ask you? And it changes the entire thing. I think sometimes oh, it's about my letting, enabling someone, like you say, to tell your story. And sometimes those leading questions don't necessarily do that.
1: I ask that question every single time. I just came back from a trip to Europe. I was filming a foreign correspondent story, which is going to go to air in September. But at the end of each interview, I said to them, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? And when I've been looking back at the interviews and the transcripts, oh, my gosh, almost every interview, that last question has given me a really valuable soundbite or grab. Yeah, an angle that, that basically wouldn't have
0: come out otherwise. Yeah. And I look back on uh, your writings from this time, which is wonderful. I encourage everyone to have a look at all the wonderful correspondence reports and things that you've written of your time. I, I just wonder how you're even still with us and haven't had a heart attack because of <laughs> <laughs> the sleep deprivation. And it's like the news has been your little newborn baby yeah. that you've had to be up at two o'clock in the morning for constantly all this
1: stuff. yeah yeah I got to the point in um <laughs> Europe where there were so many breaking stories that the phone would ring in the middle of the night and I'd just say what's happened like I would not even say huh what, what? Was, it, was it who's ringing it's like what's happened and There would always be something, whether it was the earthquake in Italy, whether it was um, the Grenfell Building fire, whether it was a terrorist attack in Istanbul. You know, all of this, a a stabbing in Russell Square in London, all of this was happening one after another. And, um, yeah, I just got very used to that. But I tell you, being back here now, I am very... um, Conscious of how tired I got and how hard I got, Mm. and what impact that can have on you then mentally because of the things that... And as a Bureau Chief, you feel that sort of inherent um, responsibility Mm. for the people that you work with. And not only your colleagues, but their families, you know. So when you send someone to the Barcelona terrorist attack, Mm. you are leaving behind a partner and children in London who are worried about their safety, who don't know when they're going to come home. And as Bureau Chief, you've got to take all that into account Mm. as well as making sure the story is covered properly.
0: And you, you know all these people yes you know all those uh, those family connections and yes it's like a little family really and they're isn't
1: it? away yeah. from their families Mm. in Australia as well. Mm. So you're all sort of living. One one thing that a friend in America, an American friend said to me once, which I always think about, (laughs) I must have been going through a period of just feeling quite comfortable with life. And I said, oh, look, I'm thinking about taking up some crazy sport. Can't remember what it was. (laughs) I said, maybe it was to do the triathlon. I said, I feel like I want to get out of my comfort zone. And she looked at me and she said, Lisa, you're living on the other side of the world from your family. You're doing one of the hardest jobs around. You are constantly out of your comfort zone. But it was so fascinating. Until she actually said that to me, Mm. you you sort of get into this situation where your normal is the normal you think is normal. And then when you step back, you go, wow, that was so not normal. (laughs) A
0: lesson in perspective, perhaps. <laughs> so, what tips do you have to people um, doing these jobs? Because journalism is quite taxing. It is a bit of a calling, isn't it? Mm. Would you agree oh, it's with that? Definitely a calling. And how do you cope with all those pressures? Um, you
1: know? Look, we all. I think everyone makes sacrifices mm. if they go overseas. I think there are so many different kinds of journalism that you can mm. do. So not all of it has. So I can only sort of talk from what I've done mostly, which is a foreign correspondent, and. There is a certain danger element in it. There are personal sacrifices that you have to make. Um, I would thoroughly say to people, my God, it was the best time of my life. I mean, I just the experiences of it are incredible. And even now, I will watch documentaries about something, whether it's, you know, the UN debate that led to the war in Iraq and I'll go, I was there at the UN. I, I was there. like, And that is a pinch-yourself kind of Ooh. moment, and I never took it for granted, and I still don't. I still just stop and think, wow, I am so lucky, so, so lucky to do this, and so lucky that I wake up every day, even if it's at 3 o'clock in the morning, thinking, I love this job. I mean, and I cannot believe that I can still say that after 30 Two years of doing this job, so it is like you're
0: on the front row of history, as they say. Yeah. Whether that is in London or the UN or Townsville, mm. that that history is just as yeah. important to people that oh, you're reporting to, isn't it? Absolutely, mm.
1: absolutely. Some of the stories that I remember the most are stories that would never have made the national news ever. Really, I can remember doing <laughs> in North Queensland doing a story about butterflies mating, and I still love that story in the top. Tar- <laughs> Straight, I was taken out to do a story about the number of green turtle eggs that were being mm. consumed by locals on um, Murray Island. And, you know, that was a story that I did. I did it. 25 years ago but I still remember it because of the people who were involved and yeah I feel pretty lucky.
0: And when you went to America I was reading that uh, the the 9-11 had just happened and the towers were still burning what an incredibly, that must have been quite a conflicting time to be over there and to feel that tension really. Well it was more than
1: tension people were still very frightened so when I moved to Mm. America they still had the fighter jets doing 20 four-hour patrols over the city. Mm. So you would go to bed at night hearing the jets roaring overhead and then you know if a garbage truck dropped its bin on the ground and it go boom. I remember texting um, Lee Sales, who was there at the time, Mm. we might have had pages back then, (laughs) (laughs) but I remember saying, what's that noise? Did you hear that noise up the street? Mm. Because she lived five blocks from me. And then we had this meeting in the office in Washington because they'd advised us to cover the windows with plastic shielding because of the risk of a dirty bomb. So that was quite surreal Mm. to be working and living in an environment where people were still quite frightened.
0: And being there for that long, Lisa, did you see America really come out of that because, of course, you, you you went much further than New York as well
1: yeah. and, and was, seeing the different responses
0: a, around America to that.
1: Yeah, so by the time I left my first posting at the beginning of 2005, America was a very angry country. Mm. George W. Bush was still the president. Uh, wars were going on. People were very, very divided. Then when I went back in 2009, there was a bit of a sense of optimism and hope um, even for Republicans they were thinking oh well maybe this guy Obama can sort of do something here And then of course that you know went downhill pretty rapidly too and of course there was the recession and yeah. and then you know who needs to say what's going on now So I'm gonna be able to do this entire interview having lived in America for nine years and not mention, The president. The the word. (laughs) Because he gets enough. Oh, he gets enough. (laughs)
0: And then uh, London, and looking at Brexit now, could you ever imagine that it would cause the tumult that it has? No, not at
1: all. We didn't even see it coming, really. Really? No. And that was another. Well, Mm -hmm. look, we all Mm. fell into the trap that we were in London most of the time, and London Mm. is not the UK. And I'd been out to Somerset to do a uh, Brexit story about three weeks before the vote, and I remember coming back to the office and saying, geez, that's. All all the people that were being put up to me as being pro-Europe ended up having very anti-Europe conversations with me. It was really (laughs) odd. I said, duh, like (laughs) three weeks later, there it happens overnight. I did not think we would still be at this stage now, Mm. and it looks like come October that the UK will be crashing out I don't think Boris Johnson is going to be a uniter no and it doesn't seem to be so yeah no huge story and I'll be doing it on breakfast I uh, you know? know and
0: so going to morning breakfast yeah. how are you feeling about that because that will be a different yeah, method again I suppose And mm. and is that part of journalism that you've got to be able to throw yourself into lots of different ways of telling that story
1: I think what the biggest challenge for me will be is to expand my knowledge base of of so many different things. things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah. I watched The Bachelor the other day <laughs> and I felt okay about that. Because, it's research. Yeah. It's exactly. <laughs> it picked up a Who magazine. Yes. You know? Like right. I can it, that's all part of breakfast. You gotta be gotta be across it. One of the things I love is the fact that you are the first to sort of know things which you know I love that about journalism <laughs> so it's like everyone's going to be turning on their television at 6 but it's like ah. <laughs> I already know what's going on, and yes. now I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> I'm waiting for Lisa to tell me.
0: No, that'll be fantastic, and looking forward to being
1: in Melbourne for a while. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a routine. People sort of mm. have focused on you know the three a.m. wake ups and yeah. five days a week, and you all don't the rest mind that routine. Well, the routine <laughs> is that I'm, I know when I finish work mm. because overseas you'd get those early morning phone calls, you wouldn't be expecting them, so you might have gone to bed at eleven. 7 p.m. and then you're working for four days straight and you don't sleep again basically. You catch a few minutes here and there when you can. So the fact that I'm gonna be finishing work at 9 a.m. I can commit to tennis games with friends, I'm gonna take up swimming again. I've got I've got a long list of Lisa life things that could take place. That can work around the stream. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, it's cool. Exactly. And I'll you know have a bit of a kindy nap in the afternoon. <laughs> And I'll be right. <laughs> um, and I just think too, Lisa, I wonder if I could
0: get you to expand on you touched it before it being a calling. I just think of you with the, the Twitter jacket incident and things like that. To me, it sounds like to you that the calling of journalism is very important. The story is the is the key and not the the
1: frippery around it. (laughs) yeah, I know. But I know that's important and I know... So you and I have caught up in the middle of half a dozen publicity (laughs) interviews that I'm doing. Um, I recognise that if people don't know about Brecky and they're not watching, then there's no point. But I I guess when you say the story's important, I actually hesitate over that because Mm. I feel like it's the people who are important. And sometimes people can have great stories but they're not ready to share them. Them. and that's another thing that you have to realise as a journalist that sometimes you can walk away without the story and that's okay too. Mm. You know, like sometimes that that happens and it might be that two years down the track that person is ready to tell the story and if you have treated them properly in the first place then hopefully they'll come back to you when they're ready to tell the story.
0: Well, it sounds like that, that respect is a central part of your work.
1: Hey? Oh, I feel like I've learned a lot over the years. I've definitely made mistakes. There are things that I'm not proud of, but. And it's um, refreshing to hear you say that, Lisa. I think there's often we don't
0: really admit to those things, but even experienced journos can make mistakes. Oh, yeah. Mm. I still make
1: mistakes. I'm happy to admit to that, Mm. definitely. And I think as long as people see you trying to do the right thing, then. That's important.
0: And just to finish, I've asked all the people on our journo project just about the the recent media raids from the AFP in Australia, and I suppose from your international perspective too, whether... This concerns you. You would have worked in so many different environments and freedoms and been aware of what a journalist could and couldn't do in all of these different countries. What do you think this means for Australia? Are we overblowing this, I
1: suppose? No, I don't think so. I I think it is a real issue and we need to be jumping on it now. And I'm glad that our bosses are speaking up as loudly as they are. I have been a bit shocked coming back here at the attitude and approach of some of the issues in regards to press freedom. I I reported in Russia. I know how tough it is when you don't have freedoms to report properly. And I would hate to think that we are pulling back from having a thoroughly open media in Australia.
0: Well, and particularly uh, being a Queensland girl, it's not that long ago, I suppose, when we think of the Joe years and perhaps that erosion between the state and the judiciary and yeah. the police and whether... We've got to sort of bat against that. Any moves that could do that? And sometimes
1: I think people, people, the audience might think, oh, what's all this about? And, you know, there are things that the media does that does not endear us to the audience. And I can see why sometimes people would say, well, why should we help them or why should we care about this? But at the end of the day, it is the audience that we are doing this for. And they might not know it now, but they will once it's something that affects them.
0: Yes, it's something we don't want to lose and then people realize what we've lost. Thank you so much, Lisa, for squeezing us in. Is there anything you'd like to
1: say (laughs) that I haven't asked you (laughs) in the Journal Project? Um, Nance, I'd just like to say that I am flummoxed sometimes when young reporters or young journalism students these days ask me about advice for the industry because I think that it is so tough and it is a very different field to the one that I came into but I but there's been a roller coaster through my period you know papers closed down I was made redundant hundreds of journalists were looking for jobs I just think we're going through a sense of transition, so I would hope that people would not lose the desire. If they really want to do it, uh, then they should keep chasing that dream. Richard Carlton gave me advice, the great Channel 9 reporter ABC before that, who passed away covering Beaconsfield, mine tragedy, had a heart attack at a press conference there. Mm. But he said to me when I was in my teen years, I had the chance to meet him, and he said, if you're going to do this... Don't be a mediocre journalist because there are plenty of them around. And so that's all I'd say. If you want to do it, go for it, but don't be mediocre.
0: And if if you've got that burning desire to tell stories, there will be a place for you. Exactly. Thank you very much, Lisa, for joining the Journo Project. So I appreciate it. Thank you, (laughs) Nan. for having me. That was longtime ABC foreign correspondent and now co-host of ABC News Breakfast, Lisa Miller, speaking to me for the Journo Project podcast. Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. Stay up to date with the latest episode of Streets of Your Town by subscribing on your podcast app on iTunes or SoundCloud. See you next time.